Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us in the Psalms. This morning, we pray that you would help us to hear, understand, and respond to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, my wife and I uh, went to Tasmania for a holiday. And we love hiking. We love hiking up mountains. And so we went to Cradle Mountain, and we spent a day. We did a hike that took us to the summit of the mountain and back down. Now, it was a very challenging hike, not only because it was very steep, but because the weather was very unpredictable. So as we were making our way up the mountain, uh, it started raining. Then as we got a bit further up, it started snowing. Then it got really windy. And then towards the top, the sun came out. It was all four seasons in a day. At one point in the climb, it got really windy. So we took shelter in a hut. And there were actually many huts like this one, uh, all in that region. Because Cradle Mountain is the start of another big hike called the Overland Track. Now, Shriv and I didn't do that track, but we read about it. It's a 65-kilometer, six-day hike. And there are huts scattered all along this track for hikers to stay in overnight. These huts were built to protect hikers uh, from the extreme weather in that area. There were places of refuge for the hikers. When Psalm 46, we're told that God is our refuge. In the very opening verse, the, psalm, the psalmist declares, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God promises to protect us in times of trouble. But I don't, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? You know, in times of sickness, we pray uh, to God for healing, only to receive more bad news from the doctor. In times of financial hardship, we ask God for provision, only to discover more unexpected costs. In times of stress, we ask God for relief, only see, to see the work pile up even more. In times of conflict, we ask God desperately for reconciliation, only to see relationships break down beyond repair. It begs the question, doesn't it? Is God really our refuge in times of trouble? Can we really trust him to protect us? Well, in Psalm 46, the psalmist is absolutely confident that we can. We can trust in God's protection. And so let's have a look at what Psalm 46 has to say about this. And there are three points on your outline uh, which follow the structure of the psalm. First, God's protection in the face of natural threats, verses 1 to 3. Second, God's protection in the face of national threats, verses 4 to 7. And third, the psalmist ends with a call to pay attention in verses 8 to 11. So first point, God protects his people in the face of natural threats. Have a look with me at verse 1. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, what's the psalmist talking about when he says that the earth gives way? 
Well, he completes the picture for us if you keep reading verse 2 and 3. He's talking specifically about the mountains crumbling into the sea as the waves batter the coastline, batter the cliffs, and then they collapse into the sea. Now, we often think of the sea as a very nice place to relax and unwind, don't we? Uh, After all, we pay lots of money to live by the sea. We take holiday cruises. We love going to the beach, especially this time of the year. Uh, I love going to the beach. Uh, Two two of my friends and I used to love going to Colorado Beach uh, because we had two things in common. First, all three of us loved fishing. And second, we all had Fridays off. So we made a WhatsApp group called Fishing Fridays, and every Friday, we packed our gear and we drove, to the, we drove to the sea and we fished. That's how we relaxed. Because the sea can be a nice place to unwind. It's calm, it's peaceful. But we forget that the sea is actually very unpredictable. It's very dangerous when it unleashes its fury. You, rem- you may remember that a few years ago, a storm devastated Colorado Beach. The very spot that my friends and I stood fishing was destroyed. Massive waves hit the beach, stripped away 50 meters of its depth. Uh, The waves uh, damaged the beachfront houses. It even dragged, uprooted an in-ground swimming pool and dragged it out towards the sea. That's how strong the waves were. Because the sea can be very destructive. And the psalmist says it makes mountains tremble it causes them to be moved into the sea. You see, what the psalmist is doing is building this picture. He's building a picture of the most terrifying catastrophe that you can ever imagine. The earth, the very symbol of stability and permanence and certainty, giving way and collapsing into the sea. It's a picture of the world being uncreated, so to speak of being undone, returning to the chaos that it was. And the psalmist is saying that even in the face of this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, how can the psalmist be so confident in the face of such chaos and destruction? It's because he knows that God is sovereign over nature. He knows that nothing is beyond God's control, not even the sea. Because he knows that God is the one who by his word, just by speaking, created the waters in the beginning. And by his word, God gathered the waters together to bring forth dry land, a place for you and me to live. And he knows that God is the one who by his breath, part to the waters of the Red Sea for the Israelites to pass through, and then by his breath, he closed the waters in on the, on the Egyptian army and destroyed them. God is sovereign over nature. Therefore, verse 2, we will not fear. We will not fear. The psalmist isn't saying that we'll never be afraid in danger. He's not saying that we need to force ourselves to put on a brave face. What he's saying is that we can always trust God. We can always trust God, even in the worst 
possible circumstance. The bushfire crisis has devastated many parts of our country. It's easy to forget about this when we live in the comfort of our own homes and the fires are not on our doorstep, but it has devastated many parts of our country. In our state alone, over 800 homes have been lost, a small town has been wiped out, thousands of people in the Blue Mountains region have have been evacuated, and most tragic of all, two volunteer firefighters were killed. Even in the face of such tragedy and destruction, the psalmist is saying we will not fear. We can always trust God. And we do this by praying. We pray to God to bring forth rain. We pray to God to protect properties, livestock, wildlife, Above all, we pray to God to protect people from injury and from death. A few weeks ago, a photo of Scott Morrison comforting an 85-year-old named Owen Whalen made the front pages of the newspapers. Owen was sitting in an evacuation centre and the Prime Minister visited this centre and met Owen. And as they were talking, Owen was recounting his experience and how he wasn't sure if his property was still standing, he broke down in tears as the Prime Minister knelt next to him. And when he was asked about this moment later on, Owen told reporters, well, we're Christians and so is he. We're praying together. He was asking for guidance for us and strength for us and peace. These two men expressed their trust in God by praying. And so, why don't we take a moment to do that right now? Let's express our trust to God by praying in the midst of this bushfire crisis. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as our country is ravaged by extensive drought and fire, we cry out to you for relief. Our hearts are broken for life, property, and wildlife lost. We pray that in your mercy you will restrain the forces of nature from further damage. Protect those who are fighting fires and guide authorities who are assisting with evacuations and offering shelter. Help the local church to be a place that offers comfort, healing and peace to those in need. We pray for the miracle of rain to end drought and quench fires. We ask all this with faith and hope in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. God is our refuge when nature strikes, and he's also our refuge when the nations rage. We're up to the second point now. God protects his people in the face of national threats. Have a look with me at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, did you notice how the behavior of the nations and the kingdoms 
parallels the behavior of the waters and the mountains. Did you notice that? Have a look in verse 3. The waters roar. In verse 6, the nations rage. It's actually the same word in the Hebrew. In verse 2, the mountains are moved. In verse 6, the kingdoms totter. Again, it's the same word in the Hebrew. What we see here is the chaos of the natural world being reflected in the world of human affairs. Uh, We've seen this through every age of human history, haven't we? Every age of human history has seen the rise and fall of human powers. And so the Old Testament Israelites, they lived through the rise and fall of the Egyptian Empire, of the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Macedonian Empire. They come and go. The early Christians lived through the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. In the last few centuries, the world has seen the rise and fall of the British Empire and the Soviet Union. And this century, the power of the United States is being challenged by the rise of China. You see how the nations rage and the kingdoms totter? But the city of God is stable. Did you notice the sudden change in mood as we began reading verse 4? From the roaring waters of the sea that batter the coastline and topple mountains, we come to a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So the sense of chaos in the first section is replaced by a sense of calm in the second. The city of God is Jerusalem, and the holy habitation of the Most High is the temple. The temple in Jerusalem was where God promised to dwell among his people. God's presence is what gives the city its stability. Verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Again, there's a deliberate play on words here. The mountains are moved into the sea and the kingdoms totter, but the city of God shall not be moved. The city of God is very stable and it's very secure. I was watching a documentary the other day on the White House. The White House, as you might know, is one of the most heavily protected buildings in the world. Did you know that on the ground, it's protected by a a two-meter-high steel fence, which is currently being replaced by a four-meter-high steel fence? It's got bulletproof windows, infrared sensors, and an army of secret service agents. That's not all. In the air, it's protected by drones, a 25-kilometer radius no-fly zone, and surface-to-air missiles one of the most secure buildings in the world. The city of God is secure, but not because of the strength of her wars or her fortifications, but because God himself is in the city. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God's presence is a fortress for his people. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us, The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's the Lord of hosts because he commands the armies of heaven. And he's the God of Jacob because he's always faithful to his promises. This God 
who is strong and faithful is with us as our fortress. This is the kind of refuge that he is. Not a flimsy tent, not even a sturdy hut, but a mighty fortress. We're supposed to think of the image of Helm's Deep on Minas Tirith. How can the psalmist be so confident? Because God is sovereign over the nations. Look at verse 6. He utters his voice, the earth melts. One single word from God is enough to crush any opposition. In 701 BC, King Sennacherib and his Assyrian army invaded Judah and laid siege to Jerusalem. You can read about it in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles in Isaiah. King Hezekiah prayed to God for deliverance. And God replied through the prophet Isaiah, and he said these words about the king of Assyria. He said this, Because you have raged against me, and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose, and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And that's what happened. Because that very night, an angel of God struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, and the next morning they left Jerusalem and went home. God is sovereign over the nations. And so, we turn to the word, of, we turn to the word that God has spoken. As nations rage, as kingdoms totter, we turn to the word of God. For his word is his commitment to act for the good of his people. And God is always faithful to his people. And he's always faithful to his word. He's the God of Jacob. God promises that uh, nothing will stop the spread of his gospel. No opposition will ever stop it. He promises that when we are persecuted, that he'll help us to endure through that. God promises to punish evildoers and to right all wrongs. He promises to establish his everlasting kingdom. He promises that those who follow him will reign with Christ forever. God is our fortress when the nations rage. He's our refuge and our fortress in every single circumstance. Therefore, pay attention. Final point. Come with me to verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In this section, there are two commands to pay attention. The first command is from the psalmist in verse 8. He says, Come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations. Now, it's not immediately clear what the desolations are. But the immediate context seems to suggest that they're connected to God's action in stopping wars. God brings desolations as he breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire. Uh, Think of the Red Sea, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea as an example again. How did God stop Pharaoh's army? How did he stop them? 
He stopped them by closing the waters on them, leaving none alive. It was a great desolation. In any case, what's clear from these verses is the result of God's action. No more wars, no more conflicts, no more fighting. Come and behold, God brings desolations and stops wars. But Israel didn't see everlasting peace. And you and I, don't, we don't see everlasting peace. We want world peace, but it's very clear that we don't have it. You know, the United Nations was founded after World War II for this very purpose, to maintain international peace and security. They have, to do this, they have a security council, a peacekeeping force, a peace-building commission, a peace-building fund, a peace-building support office, but we still don't have peace. The world continues to be filled with war. So is the psalmist wrong? Has God failed? We'll come back to this in a moment. Let's look at the second command from God. And it comes in verse 10. God says, Be still and know that I am God. Now, who exactly is God talking to here? Well, he's, he's talking to the nations. He's saying, be still, stop what you're doing. Know that I am God. Submit to my rule, because I will be exalted. And God's exaltation will be complete. It's among the nations and in the earth. It's like the final scene of the Lion King. Do you know the final scene of the Lion King? Simba ascends Pride Rock, and he lets out a mighty roar. He's defeated the enemy. He's brought peace to the Pride Lands. He's announcing his exaltation as the undisputed king. And then all the animals come and acknowledge his rule. God will be exalted as the undisputed king of the universe. He will subdue those who continue to rage against his rule. Do you continue to rage against God's rule? Do you continue to live your life, your way, without God? Because God's word to you today is stop. Stop raging against his rule, like the seas raging against the mountain. Stop pretending that you are God and he is not. And know this, God is God, he will be exalted. So submit to him as the undisputed king of your life. But for those who acknowledge God as God, the same word is a word of comfort. Be still. Stop what you're doing. Relax. Take a breath. Know this. I am God. And I am sovereign over nature and over the nations. And I will be exalted. And I am with you. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. How can we be so confident that God really is with us, that he is our fortress? We can be confident because of what we just celebrated last week. We we can be confident because of Christmas. Because over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born and he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It's why every Christmas we sing these words. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, how the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. And this Jesus demonstrated his sovereignty over nature. When a storm came and threatened to wipe out their boat, Jesus merely uttered his voice, Be still, and the storm was calmed. And when the disciples were caught in another storm, Jesus walked on water to them and he told them, Don't be afraid, it is I. And Jesus demonstrated his sovereignty over the nations, did he not? It didn't look like it. The Jewish people condemned him to death. The Roman authorities turned a blind eye to what was happening and carried out his execution. And yet, not for a single moment were things outside of Jesus' control. Because it was for this very reason that Jesus came into the world to die. Three times Jesus predicted his death to his disciples. And after he rose from the dead, he commanded his disciples and he said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations. And then he promised his disciples, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has been, undis- has been exalted as the undisputed king of the universe so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And this will happen when he returns, which brings us back to the issue of peace that we raised a moment ago. The promise of Jesus' return assures us that God has not failed because Jesus will return to bring those who belong to him into his kingdom of peace. God has demonstrated his commitment to us in Jesus. He sent Jesus to die for our sins. Jesus has been exalted as the undisputed king, and he will return to bring us into his kingdom of peace. So, we can be very confident that the one who is sovereign can and does and always will Protect us in times of trouble because he's always with us. He's with us in the wildest storm. He's with us in the fiercest battle. He's with us in all of life's troubles. He's with us as our strong refuge and mighty fortress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are Lord of the universe. You created all things, you sustain all things, and nothing is beyond your sovereign control. And so, Father, even in the face of the worst crises, even when the world is collapsing around us and the ground beneath us is giving way, in all of life's troubles, please remind us that you are sovereign and that you are with us. And give us the confidence to persevere and to trust in you. For you are with us and on our side, and you are always protecting us. Amen.